this going on next level. If you're glad you can be here, say yeah. Yeah, come on. Awesome. Well, this is Around the Table, and this is our summer series, part two, and we are talking about this idea of being around the table. When I look back at my life and and think about so many of the lessons that I've learned in my life, and so many of us can relate to this, man, I think about high school and how the summer was one of those times in my, throughout the year in my world, where, you know, a lot of my friends would hang out at our house, and our house was kind of like the party house. We had like an extra refrigerator in the garage with sodas like all all the time, and so we had a swimming pool up in Indiana, where, where I grew up. And so summer was one of those seasons for us at our house where, man, just, everybody was just constantly piling into the Kellers. But it was funny because even if we do like a campfire out uh, by our barn, we had a barn. I had a barn and I'm wearing a plaid shirt. What's up? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I had a barn and I had a horse. Uh, I was kind of scared to ride it. It was big. His name was Big Red. He was kind of red, more brown than red. Nonetheless, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Okay, here's the deal. Man, it was funny because whether we'd have a campfire, we'd be swimming, you know, during the day or whatever we were doing, we would always seem to migrate and end up around the table. We just, we just end up, and it, it would just, we'd all be sitting around, and my mom and my dad would be sitting around with us, and my friends, or my grandfather would live with us for nine years, would would end up around the table, and we would just tell the best stories, and we get to listen to the to these amazing stories, and it was just, it was around the table. In high school for me, there were just so many of those life lessons that were just consumed and learned and just were integrated into who I am today. And it's funny, though, because when you fast forward a few years and you move to college, and so now there's that college flow and there's a new, you know, kind of circle of friends with, you know, graduation weekend. These guys can relate that it's, it's that deal. It's, I remember coming back from college one of those weekends, being at our house and bringing some of my college friends with me or my brother's college friends. We'd all kind of be around the table, you know, again, talking. It was funny because once you kind of hit that college zone, all of a sudden, uh, every conversation, everybody believes the same thing. Some of us can relate to that. Like there's, you know, like all of a sudden you'd be in one of those conversations and someone's like, well, I don't really think so. What do we do now? <laughs> like it was like, what is going on? Like all of a sudden, and I remember, man, we'd stay up late and Sarah would be there. We just, I mean, just our friends and just my mom and dad, and then they'd get tired and they'd go to bed. And I just remember staying up sometimes all night, just staying, you know, till the wee hours of the night, being around the table with these conversations. And here's the thing, in, a, in, in the context of our friendships, in the context of our relationships, and this is what we're talking about in part two of this series this weekend, sometimes, oftentimes, there's tension. And so the question for us that I want us to, to engage, I want us to talk about this weekend, is what do we do when there's tension around the table? How do we handle that? How do we process that? When everybody doesn't agree, when everybody doesn't see eye to eye, what do we do with the tension around the table? If you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Galatians, chapter 2. We're working our way, chapter by chapter, for the next six weeks, all the way through the book of Galatians. And so, in Galatians, chapter 2, is where we're picking up this weekend. The Apostle Paul, of course, uh, sitting around the table with him as he's writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. And, and as we talked about last weekend, as we began uh, this series, the Apostle Paul's addressing this idea uh, and the issue's been raised, you know, is Jesus enough or is it Jesus plus good works? Is it Jesus plus tradition? Is it Jesus minus something? Like, is, is Jesus enough or is, it, is the grace of Jesus enough or is it necessary to add things 
to it. So in Galatians chapter 2, where we pick up the story, the Apostle Paul's writing and, he's, and he's, he's talking about his relationship with some of the great apostles, some of the church leaders in the early church. And so the Apostle Paul basically starts the chapter, I'll kind of zoom forward for you, by saying, okay, 14 years ago, I got to know Peter, James, and John, like the big three, the pillars of the faith in Jerusalem. Then I kind of went off the scene for 14 years. 14 years later, I come back on the scene, and Paul's in the middle of his, his ministry, and God's using him to minister to the Gentiles, or the, the, those who were non-Jews. They were known as the Gentiles, or the heathen, or the sinners. They were the non-Jews. And so when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he's high-fiving Peter, James, and John, and they're, they're high-fiving him, and they're, you know, well, what's been going on the last 14 years of your life? And all of a sudden, he sits down around the table with these leaders of the early church. And when he begins to tell them that God's using him with the message of the grace of Jesus Christ to impact non-Jews, the Gentiles, the heathen, the sinners, the uncircumcised ones, the Jewish believers, the Jewish Christians throw a fit. And it's in the midst of this that we, we find that Paul gives us four thoughts, if you will. If you want to open your bulletin and write these four thoughts down, you can track along with my frame, uh, uh, train of thought here for the next few minutes. Because in Galatians chapter 2, Paul gives us four thoughts on how we deal with our friends when there's tension around the table. And the first thought is this, if you want to write it down. Number one, the first thing that Paul was, was committed to is that he was committed to unity in the essentials. Paul was committed to unity in the essentials. So these guys here, that Paul and his, some of his guys... Are, have, been, have been ministering to and, and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, which they were cool with. But these Jewish believers were like, here's the thing. We're all circumcised. Now, for some of us who don't know what circumcision is, this is not when you're going to find out. <laughs> I'm just telling you, ask somebody else. Not it. Okay, so, so... The Jewish Christians were looking at Paul and his guys, and they're like, hey, you have people on your ministry team who aren't circumcised. And, and what we believe is Jesus plus circumcision. Well, of course, the Gentiles, this was not good news for those guys. <laughs> so clearly, you can see why like, this is a big deal. Because Paul and his guys are like, well, what, what, do you, what do you think? Holly, <laughs> right? Like they're freaking out. Okay, so watch this. Here's what Paul thinks. Paul thinks that we need to be unified in the essentials and have grace and flexibility in the non-essentials. Check it out, verse eight. For God, he writes to the churches in Galatia, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. So he recognizes the differences, but he also recognizes the similarities. Verse nine, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, so the big three, gave me and Barnabas, bad English, but he wasn't writing in English, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. In other words, they accepted us in. Even though we were ministering to different people, they accepted us in. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So what's going on here? Basically this. Paul gets to Jerusalem, the, the, the Jewish Christians are up in arms, they're like, what are we going to do? Is it the grace of Jesus, the blood of Jesus only, or is it Jesus plus tradition, Jesus plus circumcision? So they have this big debate, and Peter, James, and John, the big three, they get in the room, and they're all around the table, and they're like, it's tense, and they're talking about it. 
And this is a big deal. And, and it says, though, it, it, did you see it? It said, okay, Paul, you're, you, God's clearly using you to go to the Gentiles, and God's using Peter and all of us to go to the Jews with the message of Jesus. And so it says that Peter, James, and John, after deliberating and thinking about it, praying about it, they extended, did you, did you see what it said? They extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul. And that's probably how they did it right there. Do you see the head kind of? That's, that's probably how they did it. I mean, I don't know for sure, but that's probably how, that's how they did Whatever. Okay, so it says, in other words, here's what they said. Do we see eye to eye on, on this? Not necessarily. Do, do we agree on everything? Are ministries exactly the same? No. But we're willing to be unified on the essentials. When it comes to the core of who we are as Christians and what we believe, it is the grace of Jesus alone, plus nothing that saves us, that brings us salvation, that puts us in good standing with Jesus. On that essential, we are unified. On everything else, there's flexibility and grace. And here's what I think. I think this has implications in our relationships in in two perspectives. The first one is a personal one. Because I think it, it, it forces us to ask the question of those who are closest to us, of those that we're in relationship with, of those that, that we have allowed past into our inner circle, is there unity in the essentials? This is why, and you heard us talk about it a minute ago, this is why our connection groups are so important to us. This is why we produce a magazine three times a year. This is why, because we believe that our connection groups are the easiest on-ramp for every single one of us who call Next Level Church our home. They're the easiest on-ramp for us to find other believers who believe what we believe, who, who we can be unified with in the essential. See, I believe the Bible makes it very, very clear that you and I will never become all God wants us to become in our faith, in our relationship with him, in our relationships with others. In our life, we will never reach our full potential unless we're doing life with others in our inner circle, so to speak, that we are unified in the essentials. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. So Matt, does that mean that we're not supposed to associate with non-Christians? Are we supposed to not? No, 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 absolutely not. Matter of fact, we have a mandate from Scripture, from, the, from Jesus, that tells us that we are to be intentional in our relationships with others who don't think like we think, don't believe what we believe, don't see the world the way we see the world. The Bible gives us a mandate that we are to do that as Christians, to be that, to be in those relationships, but not at the expense of those closest to us, our inner circle, having unity in our essentials. So the question for us, the first question for us this weekend is, in terms of those who are in our inner circle that we're doing life with, do they believe what we believe? Do they see the world the way we see the world? There needs to be unity in the essentials. The second application of this, I think, is for us corporately as a church. I I want you to know that for over 10 years now, our heart has been that we are for every church in Southwest Florida. We are for every church. Man, from pre-day one, we have set out, and I have set out to, to build relationship with as many pastors as I can, and our, our team does it now, and we reach out as many church, other churches and church staff because we want to find reasons to brag on other churches. Do we do everything the same? No. Do we think the same? No. Do we, do we even, Matt, do you agree with everything they teach? No. Listen, I watch some old podcasts of me. I don't believe everything I teach. (laughs) Seriously, like I bought some stuff from a few years ago. I'm like, bro, tell me you didn't say that. When you start referring and talking to yourself in the third person as bro, you know it's bad. It's bad. (laughs) 
All of that to say, listen, in, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, flexibility and grace. I'm just telling you, Summit Church is an amazing church. First Assembly of God is a pillar church in our city. McGregor Baptist is a pillar church. First Christian downtown, Life Church down the road, uh, Riverside Church uh, on Daniels. And those are just a few that I'm in relationship with. There are dozens and dozens more churches in Southwest Florida, in every city in Southwest Florida, that are doing amazing things from God for God. And I'm telling you, you will never hear any staff member of Next Level Church speak a negative word about another church. And if you do, tell me. Because that is not who we are. Listen, do, do, do we taste the same? No. Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors for a reason. <laughs> the goal is not to get everybody eating chocolate chip. The goal is to get everybody in, in Southwest Florida eating ice cream. And we recognize our flavor's a little different from somebody else's flavor and theirs is a little different. You know, guess what? Praise the Lord. That's awesome. We're we're just going to brag on what Jesus is doing because Jesus is up to something amazing in the churches of Southwest Florida. So the second thing Paul has to make sure when he addresses tension around the table is, I want you to notice this if you want to write it down, it'd be awesome. Number two, Paul was willing to put the friend above the friendship. Paul was willing to put the friend above above the friendship. Here's what I mean by that. When things started to get tense around the table in their relationships, Paul was watching Peter's life. And when Peter came to visit him, as we're about to see in verse 11, Paul noticed some inconsistencies in Peter's character. Check this out, verse 11, Galatians 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, bam, because he was clearly in the wrong, bam, bam. Before certain men came, look, from James, another one of the big dogs, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who's Paul's number two guy, was led astray. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth are not Gentile sinners. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. What's going on? Paul calls him out. He's like, Peter, what is going on with you, bro? What is going on? You're hanging out with all of our Gentile friends here in Antioch, but all of a sudden you hear James is sending some of his boys down to hang out with us. And the minute James guys get here, you're like, oh, hey, yeah, busy tonight. Sorry, love you. And you're backing away from the Gentiles because you're afraid of what they're going to go back and rat you out to James on. And Paul says in front of everybody, he's like, Peter, that can't happen. I love you, man. But you can't act one way and then you force us into your Jewish customs. When you're, you're not even doing it. Paul was willing to put the friend, Peter, above his friendship with Peter. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that when Paul gets in Peter's business, there's no guarantee that this isn't going to make the, the relationship awkward between them forever. There's no guarantee. But Paul loved Peter enough. He cared about his friend Peter enough that when he noticed a thread of inconsistency in his character or in his integrity, he was willing to get in his business and say, Peter, bro, I love you. Man, I care about you. 
And this may make things awkward in our friendship, but listen, I care about my friend more than I care about our friendship right now. And I got to help you, man. Let me help you. It's not okay how you're doing this whole two sides of the fence thing. Do you have anybody in your life like that? What about us? Do we have anyone in our world who will be a friend like Paul was to Peter that's willing to put the friend above the friendship, that's willing to look into his life and say, hey, man, I care about you enough that I'm willing to kind of step in front of you and go, hey, what's going on? How can I help? Several years ago, uh, I was in my office. I was meeting with a staff member. He's no longer a staff now. Uh, and we were trying to get together to do like a three-hour like off-site and just to work on it, not in it, with his department and set some goals and cast some vision. And uh, so we were in my office and we were looking at our calendars and we just, things were busy and hectic and we just couldn't. And so, and Fridays in our office are our day off. That's our Sabbath. We work on the weekends and so free, we all take Fridays off. And we really try and protect that. And so, uh, anyway, the staff member and I were talking and we were just wrestling. Uh, and I said, you know what? Here, here's the deal. I'll drop my kids off at school and I'll just come to your house right after that at 8 o'clock on Friday morning. And then by 11 o'clock, we'll be done. And then we'll just take the rest of the day. And so we both penciled it in. And so that staff member got up and walked out. And um, Mike Ash, who's our senior associate here at Next Level and one of my best friends, been with us from the beginning, overheard that. And he walked in and he sat down in the same chair that that guy had gotten up and walked out of. And he looked at me and he goes, hey, did I just hear you schedule a meeting with him for three hours on a Friday? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, our schedules have been crazy and it's been crazy and you know and he's like well friday's our day off yeah i know man you know it's just my schedule it's just been crazy and you know crazy (laughs) and he looks at me and he goes in a total spirit of love he goes if i saw you in a restaurant with a woman not your wife would you agree that it would be totally appropriate for me to walk in grab you by the back of the shirt and drag you out of there Yeah, yeah, totally. If honoring the Sabbath is on the same list, how is this any different? Well, you know, it's been crazy and (laughs) crazy, you know, crazy. Do Do we have friends? Do we have people in our life like that? Do you have people in your life that are willing to sit you down and go, hey, listen, I love you. I care about you, but I'm noticing some things. Man, can I, how can I help? Am I seeing this right? See, some of, us, some of us right now are thinking about people that we are in relationship with, that we're in their inner circle. We've earned that kind of trust that we look on and we go, oh, they're heading down the wrong path. Oh, man, I I think they're missing it. Just the trajectories. I see a character issue, and I hope this doesn't bite them. But we've been putting the friendship ahead of the friend. And perhaps this weekend, the Spirit of the Lord would speak to our hearts and nudge us to say, hey, why why don't you schedule coffee with that person? And sit down and let them know that you care more about them as a friend than you do about the awkwardness of the potential of this in the friendship. That's what Paul did with Peter. 
he sat him down and he said, Peter, bro, I love you, man. I care about you. This, this doesn't add up. There's a sliver. There's a flaw. We got to work on this. And when you actually continue reading, what you discover is Peter actually repented. And he actually acknowledged it and said, hey, I'm, I'm sorry I was wrong. It's really, really interesting stuff. The third idea when there's tension around the table that Paul was committed to. One, he was committed to unity and the essentials. And two, being willing to put the friend above the friendship. But number three, Paul was willing to not compromise on his convictions. Paul was willing to not compromise on his convictions. This idea of Jesus plus tradition, Jesus plus circumcision was a make or break for Paul. And here's why. His entire ministry message was built on the grace of Jesus plus nothing. Matter of fact, the whole reason he's writing this letter to the churches in Galatia was because they were non-Jews. They were uncircumcised Gentiles. So the rumors had been spreading. The word was out. The churches in Galatia had found out that some of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem were, were getting in Paul's business. And so they were asking, Paul, bro, help us out. Say it ain't so. Tell us we all don't have to have surgery this week. And all the wives are like, oh, come on, suck it up, guys. And all the men are like, no, you don't understand. This is bad for business forever. And so Paul, the reason Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia is because they're wanting to know, is what you said Jesus only is the grace. Of, is that true? And so Paul, this is a point of conviction for him. And of course, they're arguing about a main doctrinal position of, of the church that's been true for over 2,000 years now. However, I think this, this idea that Paul wouldn't compromise on his convictions, it has implications into even the smallest areas of our life living in our day and age today. Because, no, we may not be debating about adding things to Jesus. And of course, if anyone wants to add tradition or any other thing to Jesus, of course, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But here's how, here's how I feel like this can play out in our life, in our world today as well, concerning these idea of convictions and our integrity, if you will, is this. For me, it's the question, what's my integrity worth? Maybe you've never thought about it that way, but do you realize that every one of us, our integrity has a price? We were, um, some of you know, we, Sarah and I, to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of our church, went on a cruise a few weeks ago. <clears throat> it was great to get away and just decompress and disconnect for a little while and just kind of look back and reflect on all that the Lord has done. And uh, on the Wednesday of the cruise, we stopped in St. Thomas uh, on this island, and we were going to shop that day. And so um, basically you can, they, they have like this, well, they call it a taxi. I call it a really big red truck with benches on the back that they're charging me to sit on for a few minutes while I'm being, my life is flashing before my eyes. <clears throat> so anyway, it's like, I don't know, it's like $4 a person to ride on this thing. And of course, they're trying to cram as many of us cruisers on this, you know, taxi bus thing as they possibly can. <clears throat> and so it was like eight bucks, you know, for Sarah and I. And so I, I reached my wallet, I had a 20. And so we had been sitting there for like six or seven minutes and we were, everybody on this red truck is getting frustrated. And we're like, come on, man, let's go. We want to go shop. It's hot and there's no breeze. And 
it's hot and we're just sitting here, let's go. The driver, though, of course, he's trying to make as much money as he can. So he's trying to put as many people on this taxi truck as he can. He's like, just give me a minute, give me more. We're like, come on, bro, we want to go. So all these people are getting irritated, you know, so forth. So he finally gets to, squeezes two more people on there. And so uh, then he starts in the back of the truck, and he's charging $4 a person. So he's coming forward, you know, so I had a 20. So I hand him a 20, you know, and he's supposed to give me two ones and like two fives back. And by this time, he's got a big wad of, you know, wet cash and all these people that are on vacation. It's just nastiness. And so he pulls out, you know, two ones and then like two fives, but the fives were wet and they stuck together. And so when he hands it back to me, I realize there's an extra $5 bill on there. Well, of course, I'm sitting there, and like for a split second, there's this feeling of, Ha-ha, got you, sucker, right? <laughs> Take that red truck, taxi cab, unsafe, American, what up? Split second, split, split second. And, and so, so there's this extra five that was stuck. And I remember just, it wasn't, it wasn't even an issue for me. I just got it unstuck and I pulled it out and I go, hey man, you gave me an extra five. Well, when I said that, of course, again, remember, we've all been sitting there in the heat for about 10 minutes now, just all sweating and hot and too close together on this unsafe truck. And like three or, like when I handed, I said, hey, man, you gave me an extra five. And he's already moved on to the next row, you know, $16 a whole day. And I said, hey, you gave me an extra five. And like three or four people around me, like I could hear them, like actually like surprised at, that I would give it back. They're like, huh? What? I wouldn't have, you know, like, like I started to hear that. And I just turned straight to my wife and I said it loud enough so everybody could hear it. I said, I'm not selling my integrity for five bucks. What's, it's okay. Here's the deal. What's your integrity worth? We've all, we've all had that happen where the person at the counter gives us too much change or whatever, right? It's, and it's small and large. I remember the first car we bought. Uh, and I don't even remember how much it was, but I remember my dad was with me. We went in, we sat down, and as he's filling out the title, you know, that you take to the tax, whatever, office, and then that you pay the sales tax on it, I remember the guy, the salesman looked at us and he said, oh, hey, I'll just write down a number that's a few thousand less, and that'll save you a few hundred bucks on your sales tax when you take it in and get your plates and pay the taxes on it. And I remember, like, sitting there, and I'm like, I looked at my dad, and I looked, I'm like, no, no, it's, it's okay. Just, just write down the real number. And he was like, Really? I mean, it'll save you a few hundred bucks. I'm good. And I remember even in that moment, being, we were in our early 20s, at the, like I remember in that moment thinking to myself, either God is bigger than $300 or he's not. So either God is worth serving, or if I'm really going to get ahead by selling my integrity $300 at a time, then, then it's not worth doing. See, Paul was willing to stay true and committed to his convictions. What about us? What about us? When, when our group of friends get together, when there's tension at the table and someone offers us something that we know isn't, doesn't match our convictions, doesn't match our integrity. When someone says, hey, just come with us. No one will know. Hey, just, just, it's, just go. Just, okay, just go to this website. It's totally free. You can sneak in. There's a, here, I'll give you the code. And no one will have to know, and you can have free access. Okay, what about us? What's our integrity worth? Because when we go that way, when we, when we forfeit our convictions, we are in essence selling our integrity for that. Paul wasn't willing to do that. Paul was committed to the convictions that he held true in his heart. 
He wasn't willing to sell his integrity on this. He wasn't willing to do that. And then number four, if you're writing it down, when there's tension at the table, Paul was confident in knowing where all of his life, all of his relationships, everything that he was, where it came from. Paul was confident in knowing where it all came from. Paul was confident in knowing that he could manage the tension around the table because all that he was, all that he had, all that he was experiencing was because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. He said, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How could Paul have the presence of mind when there was tension around the table to stand his ground, to stand strong in his convictions? How could could Paul have the presence of mind when there was tension around the table to say, let's stay unified on the essentials and have grace and flexibility and everything else? How could Paul have the, have the presence of mind when there's tension around the table and, and, and co- there was conflict and confrontation? How could he do that? Because he understood that it was the grace of God that permitted him to be and to do all that he was in his life. And what's true for the Apostle Paul is every bit true for every single one of us listening this weekend as well. And so my challenge questions to us this weekend are this. Number one, where in our world do we need to show some grace to some people that maybe don't believe like we believe or don't see things like we see them? Where do we need to key in on the essentials and stay unified there and protect that and fight for that and then just show grace and flexibility on everything else? Where in our world, in our life, do we need to put the friend above the friendship? Who in our life do we need to email or text or call this week and say, hey, let's, let's, get, let's get some coffee. My heart's heavy about something. And sit them down and say, listen, this is, this is what I see and I love you and I care about you. But this is what I'm observing. Help, help me process it. Help me understand. Help me help, me help you. Where in our our world have we sold our integrity for a price that's way too low? Some of us, we need to go. The Lord spoke to my heart strong about this. Some of us need to go and make that thing right. And, And you may have to pay consequences because of it. Some of us, there may be legal action if you go and and right that wrong. It may cost you dearly. But the Spirit of the Lord would say to you this weekend, make it right and I'll bless you. Don't miss that. It's going to be hard. It's going to stink. It's going to be hard. But if you want to walk in the blessing of God, make it right. Where have we sold our integrity too short? Where where have we been guilty of not being committed to our convictions? Where have we followed our friends on a path that's not led us where we want to go? And we know we've compromised. 
the Lord would say to us this weekend, it's, it's time to get on the right path. And where does our confidence come from? Can we, like Paul, say that we've been crucified with Christ? And that when we consider our life, it's no longer our life that we live, but it's his life living in us. It's through our faith in the Son of God that we have and are who we are and do what we do. Do you have the confidence to be able to say that? I want to pray for us. So I'm going to ask us all across this room, whatever environment you find yourself in, to just pause for a moment, bow your head. And I want us to pray together. And so, Lord, I pray for every single person who's watching or listening to this message in, in either in this place or another place this weekend. Lord, I pray for us, myself included, in our relationships. God, I pray that you would show up right now, right where we are. Lord, make yourself real to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pursue unity in the essentials. Lord, I pray for so many who have yet to kind of take a step in the connection group direction or, or don't have people on, the in, on their inner circle. Lord, I pray for them that in the coming days they would, they would email a leader, they would text a leader, they would call somebody, they, they'd, take a, they'd lean in to a connection group. Lord, I pray for those who need to go pick up the phone and have a hard conversation with somebody and put the friend above the friendship in a spirit of love. I pray you give them courage this week. Lord, I pray for those who have compromised their convictions or sold out their integrity. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us the courage to make it right. Lord, we want so much to live in your blessing. We want so much for the blessing of God to be on our life. Lord, use us. Help us to be men and women of integrity. Lord, I pray for the one who perhaps is here this weekend who doesn't know you, who hasn't put their faith in you, who's not come across that line of saying, Jesus, it's you and your grace. It's your blood that was shed on the cross so many years ago that gives me the ability to be in right standing with you. Lord, I pray that this would be the weekend that they would cross that line, that they would be crucified with Christ, that their sin would be crucified and that they would be able to look on and realize that the life that they now live, they no longer live to themselves but they live through faith in the Son of God. So Father, right now, in the stillness of this moment, we put our faith in you. And we thank you, God, that when there's tension around the table, it is your grace that gives us the ability to be life-giving and to prevail. Father, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. And all who are here who agreed said, Amen.